Welcome to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book, with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. So my name is Ann Saxelby. I'm the founder of Saxelby Cheesemongers, and I just wrote a book called The New Rolls of Cheese, a freewheeling and informative guide that was published by 10 Speed Press. Saxelby Cheesemongers is New York City's first all-American cheese shop. Daniel Balud called you the most sophisticated boutique fromager or cheesemonger in the United States. Tell me about the American artisan cheese revolution. So the American artisan cheese revolution really started in the 70s with a bunch of really talented, enterprising women making goat cheese. There was Laura Chanel in California, Mary Keene, also in California of Cypress Grove, Lainey Fondiller and Allison Hooper in Vermont, and Judy Shad of Capriol Dairy in Indiana. And if I forgot anybody, I'm so sorry. But there were these group of goat ladies, basically, as they would affectionately call themselves. And they started making fresh goat cheese, which at the at the time was a very new and novel and probably bizarre thing for people to, to see um, in the grocery store and on menus at restaurants. But it was kind of the back to the land movement and also just synchronized nicely with some different things that were going on with fine dining in America. There were some French chefs kind of up and coming and not finding the ingredients that they needed for certain dishes. And Fresh Chef certainly fit right into that role. So these women started kind of creating these boutique, small-scale creameries and uh, really kind of ushered in the whole artisan cheese revolution. Um, Following them in the 80s and 90s, there was a whole wave of different small-scale producers mostly centered in Vermont and California, a little bit scattered throughout the Midwest, but it seems like the East and West Coast were really kind of the first seedbeds, I would say, of the artisan cheese revolution. And it's just kind of continued to to grow, kind of like a mushroom in like an inexplicable but like awesome way, where now there are thousands of different artisan cheesemakers across the country in every state making really amazing cow, goat, sheep, even sometimes water buffalo cheeses. And so any kind of Italian mozzarella that's the real deal is made from water buffalo milk. But there there was a herd of water buffalo in Vermont. And I know that there is still one or two herds of dairy water buffalo in the United States. I think there's one in um, New Jersey now, actually. It's called Riverine Ranch. Really? Um, yeah, yeah, and water buffalo milk is is just awesome. I think it's it's very rich and fatty and great, makes really flavorful cheese. But I've heard that their water buffalo are a little bit trickier to raise, especially in in the colder climates where where we live. I think they like the the warmer environment a little bit better. I thought you were going to say like, well, you know, they're all over Paducah or something. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd love to hear about your relationship with cheesemakers. I feel like that combined with my love of eating this delicious stuff are the two biggest reasons why I'm in this business. I went to art school in New York City. I went to NYU and studied painting and drawing as an undergrad. And when I graduated, I kind of wasn't feeling the art world in a big way. I felt like there was a little bit too much pretense. You know, it was like a highfalutin kind of exclusive club, you know, and I was like, oh, I don't know if I really belong here, but I had no job prospects. And so uh, I asked Cato Corner Farm at the Green Market if I could come and have an internship with them. And they were like, yeah, but not until the fall. I had to kind of wait for a little bit to have that opportunity. But once I got there, I was just like, oh my gosh, I fell in love with not only the cheesemaking process, but the cheesemakers. You know, Mark and Liz, who own Cato Corner, 
Mark was a former English teacher. Liz was a formal, former social worker. And they just wanted to find a way to make a living having a small farm and making an artisan product. And cheese was a way for them to do that. And I feel like most of the cheesemakers that we work with have similar stories. Cheesemaking is kind of a second career, one that was just born out of like a love for art, for food, for community, for sustainable agriculture. So I feel like the people to me are just as interesting as the cheeses they make. Having those relationships, those close relationships with our producers is a big motivating part of what makes having Saxby Cheesemonger so fun. At Cato Corner, you wrote in the book, that's where you realized that cheesemaking was a lot like art. Yes, cheesemaking is a lot like making art, except it's not quite as, I guess neither one's quite as romantic as, as people kind of imagine. Because if you're doing, if you're really doing something day in and day out every day, you know, it's really hard work. Um, but for me, the thing about cheesemaking was that starting with a blank canvas and winding up with a painting or starting with raw milk and ending up with a wheel of cheese was a very similar process. You had to uh, have a good technique and um, be consistent and apply all of your um, all of your skills. Only with cheese, there was no room for BS, which was the thing that kind of bothered me about the art world, <laughs> because I feel like a lot of contemporary art you can look at it and you're like, huh, I don't know. It looks like a banana duct taped to a wall to me. I don't know if that's really, <laughs> if that's really <laughs> or art it's or like, not. I could have done that. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> and I was like, is it brilliant? Or are you just like, are you just pulling the wool over on us? But with cheese, that, that doesn't happen. You know, if you don't follow all the steps, if you don't apply, you know, this real rigor that's both science and art, you're not going to end up with something delicious. And so there was something about that kind of authenticity of cheese making that really spoke to me. I was like, okay, here's this edible art form. And it makes people happy. So it's just kind of a, a win, win, win. Murray's, Citarella, and Whole Foods has enormous cheese cases from cheese from around the world. Yeah. But I love that you're focused on building a small case featuring American cheese. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So before I opened my shop, I actually went to Europe for a little while to learn more about cheese making and wine making. I figured it was kind of like my last hurrah to like travel and, and learn all this stuff before I hunkered down and started my own business. But I also felt like it was important to just learn as much of the background of not only the making of these products, but kind of the selling and aging and, and all of this. So when I was traveling in France and Italy, I was kind of spying on different businesses of all types. And trying to take inspiration from, you know, ones that I thought were doing things well. And when I was in France, the thing that really inspired me about all of the cheese shops there was their kind of laser focus and attention to detail. At a cheese shop in France, you're not going to find anything other than cheese. I feel like if you go to a cheese shop in the States, you know, it's usually a little bit of cheese, charcuterie, crackers, olive oil, vinegar, chocolate, all these kind of other gourmet kind of specialty items. And then also oftentimes also a lot of prepared foods, whether it's sandwiches or salads or things like that. And it's a cultural thing. And there's a reason that laser-focused cheese shops work in France because people have this kind of built-in appreciation that's just in their blood, literally through the millennia, you know, <laughs> but that kind of simplicity of just focusing intensely on, on one idea, I found really like exciting and uh, something that I wanted to emulate. So when I opened my own business, I really wanted to just focus in on cheese in particular 
And then because of the tiny, tiny little space I found to open my first store, which was on the Lower East Side in the Essex Market, I literally had 100 square feet and half of it was a refrigerator. And I was like, all right, well, I literally have three feet of cheese case to merchandise cheese. And so I'm going to take a gamble and just work with the American artisans that I love and see what comes of it. (laughs) And luckily, people have been into it. Oh, so your cheese case dictated what you were going to have? Yeah. So I was thinking about the store and I always wanted to have a a focus on American. But then once I saw the actual size, I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to do all American because there's not room to do anything else. There you go. (laughs) And because, you know, I, that, that's what I really want to do anyway. So let's, let's just go for it. So now you're at Chelsea Market downstairs and cheese has become the lens through which you see the world where you share what you know and help others. Now to help us, you kicked off this book with the rules for the cheese counter of which you have 12. Talk a little bit about these rules and why we need them. I was just trying to kind of demystify the cheese shopping process because I feel like shopping for cheese, if you're not like already a a cheese nerd, can seem a little intimidating. And um, so that's really what I wanted to get at with the first 12 rules, like, you know, support your local cheese shop. I think it's so important for people to kind of seek out a small independent retailer if they're lucky enough to have one in their in their area or a farmer's market, just because those are the people who are super passionate, who are really going to be knowing the details behind the products that they're selling and supporting small business. I feel like now more than ever is just so important. And then I talk about learning what the five basic styles of cheese are, because when you go to a cheese counter and you see a hundred or 200 or however many different kinds of cheese are like, oh my God, how could I ever choose? But all cheese basically fits into like five basic categories, which, you know, are fresh, bloomy rind, natural rind, wash rind, and blue. And if you can kind of just know those basic types, you can start to identify what you like a lot easier. So I bought the five styles of cheese last weekend at your shop. And okay, so number one was fresh and I got the Narragansett mozzarella. What's fresh. So fresh cheeses to me are cheeses that don't have a rind. They're very young. They're very simple to make um, and they tend to be really mild in flavor. So um, mozzarella, fresh goat cheese, ricotta, queso blanco, queso fresco, those to me are fresh cheeses and they're great to start a cheese plate with because they're really light and mellow. And then you can kind of progress towards stronger flavors. They're also great to cook with. So they're great to have around because if you're using them on a cheese plate, great, but you can also put them in a salad or on a pizza or in an omelet. And so it's a really nice thing to have in your kitchen. Okay. The next is bloomy rind. And I got the Kunick. Is that how you pronounce Um, it? Mini? Yes. The dream, the dream boat, um, (laughs) bloomy rind cheese. So bloomy rind cheeses, um, to me are cheeses that have a rind that looks like brie. So they're kind of covered by like a white fuzzy mold and they're called bloomy rind because this white fuzzy mold literally blooms on the outside of the cheese as it ages and forms this beautiful, you know, and kind of protective rind around the cheese. Um, so these cheeses tend to be a little bit softer, a little bit gooier, um, more buttery and can have kind of a mushroomy flavor as well um, due to that bloom on the rind. And the Kunick is one of my all-time favorites. It's a triple cream goat cow blend. I always tell customers behind the counter, it's kind of as close as you can get to eating goat milk ice cream without actually going there. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> the next one I got was natural rind, and that was the Jersey Girl Woodcock Farms. And I feel like the category natural rind is cheating a little bit because it's lumping like so many different kinds of cheese into one group. But to me, a natural rind cheese is anything like the Jersey Girl that has kind of a natural, firm, earthy crust or rind on the outside. And that rind forms in the cave. They don't do anything special to the cheese as it's aging to kind of influence the bacteria and the mold one way or another. They might brush the cheese and flip the cheese as it's aging. But these natural rind cheeses, they tend to be a little bit more aged, maybe between, I would say, like three and, and gosh, upwards of like two years old. And they can have more intense flavors. Like that Jersey Girl that you got is like buttery and a little bit sharp and also kind of just earthy and beautiful. And I think it's nice to have one of those on a cheese plate that's just a little bit more rustic, a little bit more aged, a little bit more intense. The next one I got was a washed rind, the Lazy Lady Farm Tulips. Oh yeah. Tulips from Lazy Lady. So that actually, I don't know if you saw the goat on the label, um, but Lazy Lady is probably uh, uh, one of our most uh, politically active <laughs> cheesemakers. Um, she said, uh, she says one goat, one vote when we're talking about, uh, <laughs> when we're talking about the election, she was talking about marching her goats actually down to her local polling place, which would have been amazing if she actually um, did it. So it's a washed rind cheese. It's washed with a salt brine as it ages. And so what that washing process does is that it encourages this kind of reddish orange bacteria to form on the rind. And that's what gives washed rind cheeses their signature pungent you know, smell and pungent quality. And so washed rind cheeses tend to be pungent intense. And uh, it's always lovely to have something that's like a little bit funky to push the boundaries. So the last one is blue. And I got the Bailey Hazen blue from Jasper Hill Farm. Oh yeah. Bailey Hazen is such a classic. That's like my go-to blue whenever I need something to snack on the, at the cave or at the shop. So blue cheeses are very easy to recognize, of course, because they've got those beautiful blue veins running through them. The mold is not injected into the cheese as many people think, but it's actually activated by oxygen. So this blue mold is put into the milk during the cheesemaking process. And then about a week or so after the wheels of cheese are made, the cheesemaker will come and poke holes in the wheel. And anywhere they poke a hole, a vein of blue will grow. And if there are extra kind of like nooks and crannies in the interior of the cheese, that oxygen will find its way all in and the mold will kind of spread all throughout the middle of the cheese. And so an important thing to know about blue cheese is that they're not all created equal. Some blue cheeses are super strong and super intense and other blue cheeses are like very creamy and mild and, and just really kind of luscious and decadent. Like uh, there's Gorgonzola Cremificato, which is a great Italian blue that's very mild and sweet. And there's Cambazzola, which is literally a combination of Camembert and Gorgonzola. <laughs> and that's another very mild blue. So even if people think they're afraid of blue, I would recommend that they try some just to see because there's kind of a whole spectrum of delicious flavor to discover there. Okay. To eat the rind or not eat the rind? That is the question. Oh, for me, I always eat the rind. All the time? Well, unless it's wax, cloth, or bark, (laughs) I always try it. Uh, it, 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 unless it is those three things, it is edible. It's just up to you whether or not you like the taste. So soft cheeses like Kunick, I would not miss that rind for anything. Firmer cheeses like Jersey Girl, I might nibble a little bit of the rind, but maybe it's going to be a little bit earthy and a little bit intense. But I always do try it because I feel like it can really, it can sometimes add really, you know, delicious flavors. So I guess for the holidays, if we want to make kind of a basic cheese board, we should do the five basic styles of cheese. I think it's a great place to start. Yeah, because then you really, you can get all of kind of these different 
textures, styles, flavors represented, and it's going to really give you a whole nice spectrum of cheeses and flavors to work with. So quickly tell us about your themed cheese boards. I love this. Well, yeah, I was just saying there are a million different ways that you could take it when you're making a cheese board, like choose a country. You could do an Italian, a French, a a Spanish, or an all-American. Or if you wanted to get more specific, you could even do an all-Vermont or an all-Wisconsin or an all-California cheese plate. You can also um, do like a tour of the barnyard and pick different cheeses from from all the different milk sources. You could also be really silly and do like an 80s-themed cheese plate. Include some, I don't know, weird cheese in a can or, no, I wouldn't really do that, but you know what I mean. A cheese ball. Yeah, exactly. A (laughs) cheese ball covered with nuts. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there are a million different ways you could you could take it. And I feel like that's what makes eating cheese fun. Okay. So you wrote in the book, cheddar is a noun and a verb. That is true. So cheddar is a style of cheese, but it is also what is done to the curds during the cheese making process that makes cheddar unique from all other cheeses. Now to my segment called last night's dinner, where I ask you what you had last night for dinner. Oh my gosh. Strangely, it involved zero dairy. That is very unusual. Um, (laughs) we, yeah, my actually, so I sell cheese. My husband sells meat. So we're, we've got a pretty like dairy and meat protein heavy, uh, diet going on. But, um, last night we had shrimp tacos actually. (laughs) Oh, did you make them? I did. Yeah. I feel like during the pandemic, we discovered the frozen food section of the supermarket more than we ever had before. And so now I always keep frozen shrimp in my freezer and frozen dumplings because those are great in a pinch. And so, yeah, I just did, did the shrimp real quick with some, with some garlic and lemon and, you know, cooked some beans and made some pickled red onions and we just threw it all together. Where can we find you on the web, social media, and in New York City? So on the web, saxelbycheese.com, and we do sell copies of the book online. I will sign the books and send them out if you order them from our website. Um, and we also ship cheese nationwide on Instagram and Twitter. We're at saxelbycheese. And um, in the real world, we are in the Chelsea Market, which is on uh, 9th Avenue, kind of between 9th and 10th Avenue, between 15th and 16th Street. It's a great market. You can find me there downstairs, too. it's my favorite place i'm telling you this book is a wonderful holiday gift that everyone has to get and thank you Anne, so much for coming on cookery by the book podcast thank you so much for having me it was such a pleasure subscribe over on cookerybythebook.com and thanks for listening to the number one cookbook podcast cookery by the book